Hi, everyone. It's Nika, the founder of Urban Remedy, welcoming you to the You Are Love podcast, inspiring health through food, lifestyle, and making conscious choices. Hello, everybody. I am really happy today to be introducing Lori Lindwhite. She is a somatic experiencing practitioner and assistant teacher. She graduated from UC Berkeley with a degree in cultural anthropology and a minor in biology. And she is trained in different forms of body work, including the Rosen method and cranial sacral. And I could say from personal experience, she is amazing, amazing therapist and body worker. And I'm really excited for her to share her wisdom with us today. So welcome. And thank you so much, Lori, for being here. Well, thank you for having me. It's um, a lovely opportunity to get to share more of this work um, so more people can get the support they need. So I'm really excited to talk about somatic therapy today and trauma, as I've recently been talking to different friends and family members and people that I work with about trauma and how it affects the body, mind, and spirit on so many different levels. So maybe we could start by you kind of explaining what is somatic therapy and how does it work? Well, somatic therapy is about the body and it works with the body. So if you think it's kind of a bottom up type of approach where so much of our culture is about thinking and managing things with our minds, which happens in a, a later part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. But the the other more basic instincts, you know, the part that we share with other mammals are coming and they're, they're responses that we just have to our environment. We don't notice them perhaps, or um, we're not thinking about them. Um, so how we, it's, it's really about how we receive what happens to us in our environment. And I just love to note because trauma is kind of a big, scary word. And it's, it's really about um, not so much an event as it is how our nervous system is just trying to contain and compartmentalize our responses to the world around us. Yeah, I was reading a little bit about um, somatic experiencing or somatic therapy, and it was really interesting um, to read about how animals deal with stress and and the fight flight system, and how you know you know I think I don't I don't remember if it was you or somebody else that told me you know if you look at like a gazelle in Africa that gets chased by a lion. Um, you know, if they make it and the lion doesn't get them, they'll go and like shake for like 15 minutes. And so the trauma actually is able to release from the physical body that fight flight. And then, but how humans, how we don't have that understanding or, or that doesn't happen in our body. And so how trauma can be stored in our physical body. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I would say that it does happen in our bodies if we allow it to move through. Mm. And so what happens in our world is in, the, in our culture, our bodies aren't really designed to live at the pace or the consistent level of stress that we manage right now. And, and so we're just constantly overriding that natural impulse that wants to come out. And, you know, those rules are enforced culturally Um and, you know, sit still, don't move, you know, who's designed to do that all day at school. Mm-hmm. So we're just shutting down those natural impulses and, and then they just get stuck. Yeah. 
I think, I mean, from my own personal experience, I didn't even know that I experienced trauma because I always thought trauma was something, you know, that happened if, you know, somebody was mugged or somebody was raped or somebody was beat up or somebody saw something so horrific and and traumatic um, that it would be this obvious thing. And um, I didn't realize it until I was in my own healing process that, I had, you know, I had experienced trauma that was really affecting my physical body and my emotional health. And, and I couldn't figure out what was going on with me because I had all these physical symptoms. Um, and once I realized, and I, I, and I read about somatic experiencing, it was like such an aha moment for me because it all just made sense of like, oh, my body is feeling this way because it's all, all of these experiences have been stuck in there. And I've been, you know, just, you know, overworking and overdoing things. So I didn't have to feel and, and cause I didn't know that I didn't even know that it was trauma. And it has been such a amazing experience for me to work with you and a couple other people that have really helped educate me, you know, on trauma um, and how it affects the physical body. So can you talk a little bit about trauma and how it doesn't have to be something that's so dramatic, how, you know, a lot of us experience trauma. I was actually reading an article and it said something about um, 90% of adults in the United States have experienced traumatic events at least once in their life. So it's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. And there's so much in what you've just highlighted here because we don't know what we, what we don't know. And we only know our own experience from the inside. And part of that experience has been just the way from our earliest moments of how we learn to compartmentalize and gain safety for our internal self. So that just becomes patterned in your body. And then you move through the world with that pattern. And then some things will start to bump up against it. And then we'll notice oh, I don't like it when people speak loud to me or I do a particular thing um, with my musculature or I like to leave or I need to space out for a while. So these are all adaptive strategies to help contain experience. And there are different types of trauma. The ones that you named are certainly big events, right? They're, they're notable in time. And where there's a before and an after. And those are those are things that are obvious. But the other thing that can happen is just the kind of like the water we swim in. We don't know that we're swimming in it and it just patterns us. It patterns our um, way of relating to the world. And then it just feels like us. But then later on, symptoms will show up from that long-term kind of management strategy and we can't even pinpoint the origin of that patterning. And yet, because we're responding to something, we don't really have the freedom and presence to make choices in a given moment. Mm-hmm. And so that's teasing those things apart can be um, subtle and tricky. Yeah. One of the things I, I, I've learned from you and, and my own experience is that you know, because I have talked about on a couple other podcasts, you know, this last year with COVID developed very, you know, I lost 20 pounds and developed really severe acid reflux and was trying all the things, Western, Eastern, everything to 
heal myself and, you know, even therapy and, um, you know, even the talk therapy, even for me, you know, going through and talking about some obvious events that have happened in my life, like my dad dying in a car accident, which was, um, definitely very traumatic. The talk therapy really, it helped to probably, you know, talk about it on some level, but it really didn't help to release any of that trauma that I was holding in my body. And so what, so what's the difference or how would you explain the difference between, you know, like regular talk therapy or like cognitive behavioral therapy and somatic experiencing? Because for me, um, the somatic experience was so different and really was really changed, really helped me to release a lot of that trauma from my body in a way that wasn't about talking it through, but it was about connecting with my body and where that trauma felt like it was stored. Yes. And I talk therapy is invaluable and um, a wonderful thing. It just, by its nature, it isn't working with the origin of the impulses in the body. And so when somatic experiencing comes in, they're really just tracking the physiology as it arises and helping the physiology um, through support, like whether it's relational support or physical support, um, move through and complete the process of what it what it needed to do at the time, but couldn't do for whatever reason, could have been good reasons. So it's really just working with the impulses in the physiology itself. So when we feel angry, it's often because our boundaries have been crossed and the impulse is to use the agency that comes with anger to get people out of our boundary. And so that is usually some kind of wanting to push away. So by physically encouraging and feeling the connection to push against, say, my hands, if it's in the office, and to just feel how my body has the capacity to get people out of my space, then can allow that big energy to move through, and then it can dissipate, doesn't need to be stuck in there. Right, which I love. And it's it's so interesting because you know, who, like, obviously we know that stress affects our physical body and we, you can feel that. Like if you have a really stressful day, you know, your shoulders, your neck might get tight or you might get a headache or, you know, your stomach might feel tight or you might not feel good. Um, those are all like really obvious, you know, reactions to stress and things that most of us have experienced. Um, but it's like this long, it's like this long-term traumatic stress that we hold in our body, um, that it, I mean, it seems, I don't know how long somatic, how long has this somatic experience been around or somatic therapy? I would say that somatic therapy has always been around. It's a very, um, indigenous process. Like people would use drumming and singing and dancing, and those are all very somatic rhythmical types of ways of moving energy. So just to give credit where that, yeah. um, and I, I'm not super accurate on the dates, but Peter Levine did his PhD work in the 70s and has been teaching all through the 80s and 90s. And it's really kind of reached this um, exponential growth now that people are acknowledging that the brain can change and that the consequences of having this stuckness in there, you know, for a long time, people have just been 
dealing with the symptoms, right? Um, if you have acid reflux, we'll take this medication and that will diminish the acid reflux. And, and it's true, it works, but it doesn't deal with the origin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's back to that root cause, which I love. And that's part of the reason I love this is like, yeah. you just hit the nail on the head is that, you know, we're a society where we're taught, you know, really not to feel our feelings that much. Like you were talking about school before. It's like, go to school, sit still in your chair, you know, do what you're supposed to do, be a good girl, be a good boy, um, you know, and follow these rules. And when, you know, and kind of also, unfortunately, you know, we've normalized a lot of things like stress and illness and not feeling good in our body is a normal thing. And you could take an antidepressant or you could take, you know, a pill for your acid reflux. And I think, you know, like they said, there's a time and place for everything and those things aren't off the table, but really getting to the root. I was already on this journey of not getting better and trying every pill, every herb, everything, and nothing really helped me until I started being able to inhabit my body and accepting what and listening to what my body was trying to tell me. Yes. And so these, these strategies of overriding um, is what we see so well rewarded in our culture here in the United States, right? The, to be successful, we need to work 15 hours a day and seven days a week and, and so on and so forth. And there's a lot of accolades given to people for those types of strategies, but the body isn't designed that way. Body is designed to have um, sympathetic activation for short bursts of time, and then to come down and to move into a parasympathetic rest and digest and repair. And that, that um, balance and rhythmicity between those two states. If you think about, you know, horses grazing, they, they're going to run around for a little bit and then you're going to spend about 80% of their day just eating <laughs> and socializing. Right. So, and that's true for us too. So for the body to be in balance, we have to be in this place where we have safety and containment, um, where we can feel at ease and then we can deal with short-term bouts of stress to meet the need and then let it go again. Yeah. And then you see, you know, I have, you know, people in my life that have experienced trauma from a young age um, and never had the sense of safety as a child. Um, And so I've seen and, you know, and recently really understood at a different level why, you know, this person is always so alert on high alert from noises and sounds. And if somebody says, oh, what's wrong or what's happening, you know, this person will always be like, oh, what happened? Because it's they're in a constant state, it seems, of fight flight. Right. So that vigilance is was helpful, right? That vigilance is what helped create a sense of safety um, and being available, being prepared. But it's not a long-term strategy. It wears down the body. They show up as, um, you know, irritable bowel or headache or fibromyalgia or you know, any list of, of ailments that people deal with. Yeah. The dis-ease and the the pain that's found in the body. Mm -hmm. I was reading something um, about trauma sensitizing the HPA access, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access, which um, when I had my practice, it was really interesting because I had taken a bunch of classes on that. And there was all of these, um, 
you know, different supplements that you could take that would balance this HPA access. And it's really interesting because that's the body central response system um, of the nervous system and the endocrine system, which obviously um, connects with our hormones and cortisol and, and stress and whatnot. And um, it's so interesting that this is this is the trauma, this trauma sensitizes this access. So like, even if you are you know, taking the pills or doing those things, if you're constantly in hypervigilance, I can only imagine, and I'm sure this has happened. I'm sure this is part of what's happened with me too. Um, when you're in constant hypervigilance, it's like your hormones can't be fully balanced. And you, cause you're not in that like rest digest phase where your body is taking time to heal. Cause a lot of us that have gone through this go through times where we also aren't sleeping. Right. So that highlights that inability to really let down and let go. And, and we can't do that. It's not really wise to do that if we don't have a sense of safety around us. So that's your physiology keeping you going. And there's a, a reason for that, right? So starting to tease out um, if that is still necessary, that old habit, right? So this is the part where there's a time element in trauma where the body is responding as if it's still in the past, but in the present moment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so teasing that out, like that was an amazing strategy. Look, you survived and actually you're thriving and let's let the past be the past and come into the present where actually you have developed a world of safety and containment and relationship and all these things that the, the whole being needs for support to thrive, but let that past go. And how do you, what are some good examples of, you know, how you would do that? Because I'm sure, you know, there's people listening that can identify and relate, you know, to their own experience of whatever they've experienced. Um, you know, what are some ways like maybe being in nature or certain things that people can do um, to try to kind of release that trauma from their body? Are there things people can do or is it more seeing somebody like you that can kind of help guide? Well, I think there's there's many modalities that are working in this same medium, right? They might not name it the same way, but, um, you know, yoga and um, music and nature, um, breath work. Uh, I mean, there's so there's so many ways that people find to heal um, singing. Uh, gosh, I, I and I would say in any when there's the right kind of containment and connection, then healing is happening. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's when people are allowed to really just be present in the moment. What about disassociation? And like, because we get so busy and so hypervigilant that we maybe talk about like how to bring, you know, ourselves back into our body and how to you know, because you're talking about presence and really like, how do we bring more presence, you know, into our body? When we're experiencing the present moment and we're fully present in it, right? We're not halfway somewhere else. Um, and that can be a lot of modalities that help us ground ourselves in that, whether it's nature, um, being fully present and assessing um, that connection and safety, containment and feeling it in our body 
this is a part that's really important is to, to note it and say, wow, I really feel my feet on the ground and I feel supported by the earth. And I feel that I'm safe right now. And just really acknowledging that. I think a lot of people would be surprised that they, they may not actually feel that. I love that because that's something that you've taught me where, and then I find myself in times where, you know, I just might feel a little bit out of my body or overwhelmed or just feel like, Oh God, all of a sudden I like get in fight flight. And then just by simply closing my eyes and feeling the sense of gravity in my chair, like feeling, like you said, feeling your feet on the ground, you know, feel the, you know, your body, the gravity pulling your body into the chair or the couch or the earth or whatever you're sitting on. It does, it gives you this sense of safety that feels very, um, very like almost like you're, when you're a kid, like your mom giving you a hug. Yes. Right. And that's the, the absolute core piece that touch connection, the maternal child bond. And when we feel that again, then we can let down and, and just feel safe from the inside. Yeah. And a lot of times we want to, you know, and I know for myself, it was like, you know, we're trying to find somebody to make us better or somebody to heal us or make us feel safe or, you know, whether it's a doctor or a therapist or, you know, a family member. But for me, what I've learned is really the key, you know, in part of our healing, especially trauma, is finding that safety inside, like being my own mother and knowing that like I am safe in this body and that I am part of this beautiful universe and mother earth where, you know, the sun rises and the sun sets and there's all these natural rhythms happening around me. And just by not trying so hard and letting go, um, that I could find my safety there. Like my heart's going to beat whether I'm having a panic attack or, you know, eating whatever I'm eating or going on a walk, like that, that it's all happening. You know, my mind and my brain and my ego isn't controlling, you know, the sun rising, the sun setting, the tide falling or, you know, or the right, birds right, flying. Right. And I love that. I love that part of um, kind of, you know, letting go. Yeah. I think that you've so beautifully articulated that sort of internal reaching out <laughs> for safety and, and allowing it to come back in and just really settle and ground inside of yourself. And this can highlight um, if people don't have that connection inside of themselves, perhaps because they had a childhood where that wasn't available. So now there's there's sort of um, an emptiness there. There's nowhere for it to land. And so beginning the process of creating that pathway inside, and that would be something that um, a somatic experiencing or, or well-informed um, trauma-oriented practitioner would help with, like, what is that internal landscape? Where, where can we feel settledness? How do we experience it? What kind of textures and qualities does it have inside so that it creates a place where you can come back to and anchor yourself in any moment? So, when we notice the reaching out, we can go, oh, we don't have to go out. We can come back, come back to ourselves. You know, it's interesting that you're saying that. I mean, for me, it just reminded me how uncomfortable I was for so long feeling in my body because I had, 
you know, been in an abusive relationship and never dealt with it or told anybody about it. And, you know, my, a couple, you know, whatever other things that I've had happen in my life. And I just held that in my body for so long that it didn't feel like a safe place for me. So it would be interesting because I've, you know, I'm an acupuncturist and always interested in health and wellness. And so I found myself feeling very uncomfortable a lot of times when I would try to do meditation or, or do things, um, engage in like mindfulness practices that slowed me down and really would try to bring me into the present moment because I didn't feel comfortable in the present moment. I felt very good at getting a lot of stuff done because it would distract me. So I would like be really good at doing work stuff, but like being, you know, slow and listening and being able to even be really present in conversations was really difficult for me because I did not feel comfortable there. And I think, you know, a lot of us have that and it's like, gets you, it's so easy to distract yourself, especially in times with like social media and looking at your phone and, you know, all of these things that are around us now, even watching the news and all the fear that's out there, you know, that all of those things just take us out of that place inside of ourselves. And exactly the whole list of things we need to do and the timeline, you know, on which we're doing them. So that that becomes a habit, right? This internal feeling of moving, 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 moving becomes a habit of sort of running. It's just like a running and efforting all the time. And so we don't know anymore how to stop and settle. And that stopping and settling may not be comfortable. For some people, they might come back to themselves and go, oh, goodness, I've been gone. You know, how nice to return. And for others, it may be like, oh, I've been running my whole life because it's not comfortable inside here. And so then starting to be curious about what that is. So the driver for that can be really fear, right? Like a fear that arose early on. And so the running was a solution to that. Um, But to have support about well, let's be together with the fear and get curious about it so that we can really take time and space to meet this so that we can deal with what needs to happen or what couldn't happen then, mm-hmm. but can happen now. And then you can let it go. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And what about for the people that have had, you know, the really, traumatic experiences in their lives. How does somatic therapy or somatic experiencing, how do you work with people that might, you know, have been through so much that they don't necessarily want to talk about it, but they want to move through it? What kind of walk us through a session? Like how would that work? I mean, I know everybody's different, but I'm just curious. Well, I would say, and this is something I really love about the somatic experiencing work is they have this concept of titration. And I think in in one of Peter's first books, he talks about it as, you know, when you put a little Alka-Seltzer in a glass, it fizzes and then it settles, right? So I have this image of just adding a little bit of energy to it and then letting it settle and then adding a little bit more and letting it settle. And that I would say is in contrast to some cathartic therapies, which go right to the trauma experience it, feel the bigness of it. And then there's this relief afterwards. But what can happen then is the body can really contract back Mm -hmm. because it's overwhelming. Trauma is about overwhelm to the nervous system, 
about you know the not lack of capacity in the moment to deal with what was present. And so what we want to do in somatic experiencing is touch into it, stay present, but feel what's there and then come back to a safe place. You know, whether that's conversation or feeling the support of the table or the floor and then go back do a little bit more and then come back. So there's this way that we're always grounded in safety and presence while we allow the feelings and the energies that were too big at the time to start to move through. And so have you seen, I mean, I'm sure you have, um, people with very severe trauma be able to heal themselves um, through through your work? Definitely. Um you know, and of course, depending on what kind of trauma it is, it might take a while, but, um, you know, I had a client a couple of weeks ago and she had some pretty severe, um, events happen medically as a child. And she came to a point and she, her stomach felt really like there was a rock in there. And I just supported her to finally like, let's be with this together, you know, and then to move the energy out And once that happened, she was like, I've never been able to do that before because she would start to touch it and then everything in her body would push it back down. So it just was always popping up, but then going back down rather than being able to manifest all the way out. So it's really like being able to feel what it is, which a lot, which I don't know for me has been difficult at times because it's scary sometimes to feel that uncomfortableness. That's exactly why we push it down. Mm-hmm. And so to take just a tiny bite size of it with support and, and that might be hands-on or, or relational in the office and to be with that and to allow some of it to move through and then get curious about um, what what it really is, you know. And what about um, with children, um, you know, children that go through, and I mean, you know, from what I've read, a lot of people, you know, hold on to trauma from childhood um, and you're a mom with three kids. So what, what are some tips for parents? Like how do we deal with um, our children and what's the best way if they've dealt with some trauma um, and they have difficulty, you know, expressing it or expressing themselves. And we, you know, obviously don't want our kids now with this knowledge to have to go through their lives, you know, holding on to this and having it affect them later in life. What are things that we can do to support our kids? Well, I would say to be aware of um, when they're having, you know, activation, which might look like um, erratic behavior or incessant talking, kind of things like that, or very quiet. Um, And if they've had a big event, letting them bring it up and then not just asking, asking about it, because that might cause more activation. So just managing how much comes up and then letting it settle again. And what about like, is there something we can do to support them not like holding it in their physical body? I mean, how would we help them like be present, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I would say asking them about what it feels like in their body and and supporting them. I'm just trying to think of an example. My daughter had a little uh, ski accident and, 
you know, it hurt. And then I just started to ask her kind of like if I were painting a picture about, you know, how did it feel to have your skis on your feet and could you wiggle your toes? And, and then, you know, when you fell, which way did you fall to give her body a sense of slowing down time and moving through? She could really be present with the experience. Mm. Um, and, and then, oh, how, how did it feel to be in the snow? Oh, it was cold. And then, yeah, yeah, just take time and remember what that felt like to be finally like still on that cold snow and just being present in it. Uh, yeah, I love that because normally we would probably be like, oh my God, are you okay? Okay. And don't worry about it. It's okay. It's okay. Rather than like, you know, giving the space for the, like you were just saying, the expression or the like slowing down of the event. Yeah, it's really about slowing down and feeling what you feel. I mean, in that basic essence, um, and letting it come through them, you know, so being there as support. So as you're present with them in their experience, that's a lot of support, right? We're not trying to busy it up or make it okay or, um, or have the, you know, somebody else do something. We're just with them in what is present. And thank you so much for sharing, you know, all of this with us. I think it's so important. And I wish I like now that I've, you know, started doing this work, I'm like, God, why did I know about this like 20 years ago? How different would my life have been if I even knew that, you know, I was holding this trauma for so long? But I'm grateful that obviously I found it now. So what are ways, what are, you mentioned some earlier, but what are some simple things um, that we can do to bring more, you know, presence, um, being present in the moment and kind of self-nurturing to create a safe space for us so that we can, you know, deal with maybe the more uncomfortable feelings that we have in our body. You know, some of these things are so basic, they, they, they just seem sort of silly, but, you know, when we are in a place, if we notice we're getting a little activated, which might be, you know, a heart racing or muscle tension, um, moving outside of ourselves, just even stopping and feeling your seat in the chair, your feet on the floor and giving yourself, you know, five seconds to look around the room and notice three colors or textures and really being present with, with what is here right now. The next layer might be, you know, giving yourself a little self hug and squeezing your arms and just really feeling that pressure feeling the containment. Um, this is me. I'm right here, you know, coming into my own body. What about, you know, a lot of us, um, are, have relationships, um, where it might be difficult to like, if you're, I don't want to say an abusive relationship, cause obviously, you know, you don't want to be in a, an abusive relationship, but if we're in relationships that kind of promote this, this, way of being, um, where maybe you can't speak your truth or you don't have good boundaries that might be triggering to trauma or just triggering to whatever you're going through. Um, what are ways that we can, what, what tools can we use to kind of create better boundaries for ourselves so that we feel more safe, safety in our body? Well, I love that you brought up boundaries. I feel like I'm talking about boundaries all day long. And, you know, just even so, just backing up a little bit, that if 
if you can have a sense of where you are in your own internal space, you know, feel the ground, feel your uh, perimeter, your skin, or maybe outside of your skin into your kinesphere, which is a little bit of your energetic bubble. And this is me over here. And then, you know, I come to be with you, Nika, and you're over there. And so we have two bubbles that are intact in themselves, but now they're going to negotiate, you know, that in exchange. So what can happen in relationship is I can sort of vacate myself because I'm going over to take care of the other person. And then that has its own repercussions. So by really being in your own space and having a felt sense of that through, you know, gravity and, um, and, and just presence, then I can choose to, to interact with others and still be with myself. Mm-hmm. That it sense. does. Yeah. I just, yeah. yeah. I just heard a, I, or I heard or read a couple of days ago that somebody said, um, you know, if we don't have full trust in our, you know, in our own selves that we can't have relationships where we can actually trust others. And I thought that was really interesting. And I know there's a type of, um, attachment trauma, you know, probably that for a lot of us that happened as children and, um, you know, which creates these other kinds of relationships as we're older. Um, and so, you know, finding that being able to feel like we were talking about before safe in our bodies and to be able to truly trust ourselves is going, we'll probably manifest much healthier, um, relationships, you know, personally and professionally. Right. So I think that um, these these sort of complications that come in, like attachment, I mean, I've heard of them as attachment styles, right? So if I take care of you, then then I take care of me mm-hmm. because now you're okay. So that makes me okay. Right. Or if I, you know, oh, I'm assessing you have that crazy um, mood on today, I'm going to leave. You know, so I could leave mentally uh-huh. and dissociate a little bit, or I could leave physically, um, and that that makes me safer. So really, the conversation is always about internal sense of safety, and how I negotiate relationship is often really rooted in that. And what I see is that when we have a lack of awareness about how we respond in the presence of others. And of course, others can be, you know, people that are just, you know, um, friends or uh, family members, children, you know, those are different layers of relationship. And um, ah, just lost my thought. That's okay. I'm totally sorry. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> I know about um, just our relationships with others and how that. Oh, I know what it was. So if I have a lack of awareness about what I do internally, then I'm just reacting Mm -hmm. and I'm unconsciously reacting. I am not responding with presence, right? Right. So in the response, there's choice and there's freedom to say yes, to say no. But when I'm just reacting, I'm not thinking about it. I'm on autopilot. 
And I'm sure, God, I just, I feel like I see that around me all the time. It's like, we want, you know, we want to be loved. And so we want, you know, we learn as kids, like if I take care of other people, you know, if I'm the caretaker, if I listen, if I do, you know, I have to do these things to get the love that I want. Um, Seems like such a common one, you know, and it's, that's probably really difficult to break that. So that that's a habit, right? It served us really well. And then suddenly we're like empty inside because we're just doing these things, but it's not actually what we want. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe the other person just wants us to do what we want also, but we can't really manifest that. And this is somehow a deep unconscious patterning. And so to work with that um, and allow one to come back to themselves and tease apart those, those origin of that patterning and, and allow it to, to let go and create more space internally. Yeah. It's so, it sounds like, you know, there's obviously lots of different paths to get to the same place and there's lots of, everybody has their own story and their own manifestation of, you know, whatever trauma or beliefs that we've grown up with or we've experienced but really, it sounds like what you're saying is coming back to yourself with presence and finding the safety and love, you know, in the physical and emotional bodies is, you know, the biggest part of, you know, unwinding that and rewiring um, the brain and the nervous system. Yes, absolutely. And just being in a place to allow as our body receives these energies that come at us, right? Like that they can just move through. They can arise and then they can settle and they don't have to stick. There's no more stickiness inside. Right. I love that. I have another question for you. In terms of mental health disorders, do you think um, some of them are actually symptoms of nervous system dysregulation? I, I, I would say so. I mean, I'm not a psychotherapist and so I can only you know, articulate what I see, but I, I think that these patterned responses arise out of the physiology. And then we're just trying to, in our society, really work with the symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so once we get underneath that and start working with the origin and, and how our body works with our own physiology, um, they can start to soften and dissipate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know with my own anxiety, I, um, you know, it felt like a lot of repressed, um, you know, emotion. And like I said, just staying busy and never really dealing with my stuff. Um, you know, once I've started working with you and doing a couple other things, that's where I've, you know, the first time I've really seen benefit in being able to, um, reduce my anxiety and be able to have a relationship, a healthy relationship with my body, and, and myself, which has made such a difference. So, and maybe you've heard this term window of tolerance. And so when, um, our window of tolerance is basically the bandwidth in which we have presence between, you know, if we have too much activation, we're going to lock on and, and get super busy. And then if, um, if that is even too much, then we might move into a collapse state where we're just really tired and our body just shuts down. So how can we live our life so that we're within this range where we can have activation and then we can allow it to settle and, and just really be responsive? Mm -hmm. And so much of that activation, I think the hard part is it just feels so uncomfortable. 
you know, that it's like, it's hard to sit with that. It's that's, that's the work is like actually being able, I mean, I just for myself, but, um, you know, being able to sit through feeling activated and feeling things that don't feel good in the body to have to sit with that. It's really, it's, it's so easy. It sounds so easy, but sometimes yeah, it's really, yeah, it's really hard. It feels so uncomfortable, but that seems like that's really where the healing happens. And that's what we need to do to. Yeah. And that's such a great example, Anika, because when it is uncomfortable, my impulse might be to get up and do something about it. Or I can just be curious about, wow, that that's really uncomfortable. What is going on here? And then feeling, you know, the ground and the support and the containment or maybe reaching out for a friend and, can you just be with me while I feel how uncomfortable this is and just let it move through? Mm-hmm. And there's a real sense of vulnerability that a lot of us have to do to do that, which is, feels really hard in itself. Right. And that may not be the safest thing um, or has it hadn't been in the past, but maybe now. So, And it's interesting because like these times, you know, this past year with COVID, so many people have felt so isolated because we are, you know, isolate people that, you know, aren't living with families, especially are really isolated. And so it's difficult to, you know, have those, that emotional support and, you know, even just, you know, more relational beings to be able to be around other people and feel safe. So I'm sure there's another layer of triggering that's been, um, well, I felt it a lot. And I I know there's been like higher rates of suicide and um, anxiety and stress and psychological issues during this last year. Can you give us um, some tips of like things that we can do, you know, if we're feeling isolated and alone? I know you mentioned like self-soothing, which I love, but what are, are there any other tips you can share with us or things we could do? Um, Well, I just want to name that as a human species, we're not meant to be alone. You know, we're, we're meant to live in, in extended family groups and small villages and, and to know those around us. So if that's, if that's where we're at in physiological structure to be so isolated and alone is going to be, you know, scary, right? So, um, so of course, finding that comfort in yourself and um, feeling, you know, those uh, support of the ground and um, self-soothing types of things, um, but being with friends. I know that in this time we haven't been able to be with friends, but people have maybe developed small pods and sharing meals with um small groups mm-hmm. of people. And maybe, I mean, even like, yeah, like, connecting with people online through Zoom, if that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, and playing. Play is the great um, social support that we have as human mm-hmm. beings. I love before when you said dancing, I, I when I was like going through all of my stuff and I really wasn't feeling good, one day my mom looked at me and she's like, I'm just going to turn the music on and we're going to dance. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to dance. And we just turned the music up full blast and we started dancing and I started doing it with my friends every day. And it was like, when I really wasn't feeling it, I would dance and I would always feel better. And it was so funny. I would just laugh and totally free flow dancing. And it was, it's such a healing um, modality just to like turn on music and move your body. I love that. Yes. It's so perfect. 
Right. And that's a very ancient thing. Dancing, dancing Dancing and music. Uh, Well, thank you so much for, you know, sharing this with us. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening like myself who I didn't even know about, you know, somatic therapy or somatic experiencing at all. So I am so grateful for the work that you do and you've personally helped me so much. So I'm always grateful to you and uh, you're so amazing. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Oh, thank you, Nika. So lovely how you create opportunities for more people to learn about things in the world. Thank you. All right. And for people that um, are interested in learning more about somatic therapy, your website is lindwhite.com, L-I-N-D-W-H-I-T-E.com. Yeah. And I would also encourage people to go to the traumahealing.org website, um, which is the home of somatic experiencing if they want to know more or find a practitioner in their community. Perfect. Because there are somatic uh, practitioners throughout the United States. All over the world, actually. Cool. Well, I'm, ex- I'm excited to keep uh, learning more about it because I think it's so fascinating and such an amazing healing modality for us. And I think just in our modern world, it's something that we can all use more of is just being more present and more loving towards our, our physical bodies. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at the You Are Love podcast. For more episodes just like this, please subscribe. This is Nika, and I'm wishing you a beautiful day.